Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 36 of the More Than Corporate podcast. This week on the podcast, we have an interview with Stephanie Parahamas. She transitioned from working as a marriage and family therapist into a relationship coach and a podcast host. Steph is a certified family life educator. Some of her favorite tools to use with her clients is hypnosis and guided imagery, along with movement and deepening self-love work. Stephanie's been involved in the behavioral and mental health field since 2002, and she's just as passionate about working with others as she was when she first started. Steph loves working with people who are ready to enrich their relationships and heal their parental wounds. A bonus is increased self-love and acceptance. She knows this can be done because she's done it herself and has witnessed hundreds of the people she has had the honor of working with do the same. A love for adventure, animals, people, and life. She can find the silver lining in almost anything. This was an amazing interview. I had so much fun talking to Steph. We really had some deep conversations about her podcast, about her coaching business, about some of the hurdles that she has faced in her life, as well as some of the hurdles that she's seen in her clients' lives, and also some of the techniques that she uses to help her clients kind of push themselves out of their own way. It was really enlightening to be able to talk to her and see the amazing perspective that she has on so many different topics. I really hope that you enjoy the episode. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into my conversation with Steph. Steph, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I am looking forward to it as well. We've had some pretty amazing conversations so far, and I'm really excited for the value you're going to be able to bring to the listeners um, just to go ahead and get us started, let's let the listeners learn just a little bit about you. What Can you tell us where you're from and what it was like for you growing up? Sure. So I was actually born in Douglas, Wyoming. And then when I was around one, my family moved back to Glasgow, Montana, which is a really small town in Northeast Montana. Actually, there was an article that went around a, like a year or two ago that was like people got together and figured out where the middle of nowhere was. And it was Glasgow, Montana. And so literally it was a town of like 3000 people. We have like two or three stoplights. When we were in high school for fun, we just like you know, we'd cruise like up and down the highway too and park in the fairgrounds and hang out and chat with each other. And, you know, there's a lot of like farming and agriculture around there and a lot of plains. So when you think of Montana, like Western Montana is absolutely gorgeous, like with the mountains and all of that. Eastern Montana is a lot of farmland. So prairies, which has its own type of beauty, which I guess is a friendly way to say like, it's not as beautiful as Western Montana, but still nice. And winters were really, really cold. Like I'm talking negative 50, like wind chill, everything super cold. But I didn't realize like, that's not how everybody's winters are because you know, you only know what you know. Right. And yeah. So it was a very small mentality, very like 
traditional conservative type of town, but it's like, you know, everybody by their vehicle, you know, if you see a red truck, you're like, oh, there's Nate, you know, or whatever. That's interesting. And I'm laughing a little bit on the side because I connect so much with what you're saying right now. Like I grew up in a small town in Southern Idaho with like 1200 people in it, maybe 2000. Um, with a graduating class of like 80, I know what it's like to spend your evening like driving up and down the only street that exists. So I totally get it. I always ask this question because not only do I think it's interesting for the listeners to kind of hear what it's like for you growing up, but more importantly, I think it's so interesting how individual ways that you were raised go into your definition of success as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously this podcast is all about defining your own idea of success. So as you were living in Montana in this farming and agriculture area, and you were thinking about what your future was going to hold and, and growing up, what, was your, what were your plans and what did you think success was at that point? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even know that I ever really thought about success until I was well into adulthood. So I think growing up, it was more just about enjoying life, having new experiences. I knew that I wanted to travel and experience more. Like I remember when I was in middle school, I told my school counselor, oh, I really want to go to like see the city. Like I, like my favorite place was going to like on vacation was like Billings, Montana or something like that. Cause it was like a big city of like a hundred thousand people or something. And my counselor kind of laughed and he's like, there is so much more world out there. And I was like, really? Okay. Like there's places <laughs> bigger than Billings. And like, when you talked about your uh, graduating class, like my graduating class was 69 people and there was like 300 people in my high school or something like that. So you literally know everyone yes. for the most part, you know what I mean? You may not know them intimately, but you know who, who everybody is. I just really wanted to travel and see things and pretty much everyone else in my family is kind of a homebody. Like my mom and my stepdad like to travel a little bit, but like my dad, everybody in my family is in Glasgow still. I'm the only one who like left, left. Like my older sister and little sister, they've all like dabbled a little bit, but I, I will never live in Glasgow, Montana again. However, my entire family's there. And I appreciate growing up there because it was so safe, which you can relate to, right? In Idaho, you don't have to worry about anything. You leave your doors unlocked. You could walk anywhere at any time, take your bike riding. Like I I live in Phoenix now and I have a six-year-old and there is no way he's going to go take his bike and go for a bike ride wherever he wants to go. But I could grow up that way. Right. You know, grew up on like ice skating on ponds and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to know, was there pressure one way or the other to either continue in a farming and agricultural arena or to go the school route? Or was your guidance counselor more along the lines of let's figure out what works for you? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think that that comes from so many, it depends on the person I was talking to. Like my guidance counselor was probably like, hey, whatever you want to do, do. I'm going to help you you know, move towards that path. But I think a lot of it, I kind of figured out on my own because I knew that Glasgow wasn't my forever place because I wanted to see more and do more. A promise I had made to myself in high school was that I wanted to live in each different parts of the U.S. to see what place spoke to me the most. And some people were like, go get it. And other people were like, no, what are you doing? 
And when I graduated with my undergrad, I was in a relationship with this guy who was really great. And so this kind of speaks to the culture of Montana, at least at that time. So I broke up with this guy because I wanted to do AmeriCorps and move to Connecticut. And there was nothing wrong with our relationship. He was phenomenal. He's a great guy. And all like most of my friends were like, what are you doing? How are you breaking up with somebody to go do this job somewhere else? Like, no, you're supposed to marry him and have kids and live your life. And I was like, uh, no, I want to go and do this for me. So we broke up and that was like a, that was when I think life really got interesting at that point in time. That's so crazy. I, I'm so kind of just in love with the fact that at such a young age, you were able to say, this is what I want to do. Because I know I wasn't, I well, actually that's not true. I guess I was, cause I knew what I didn't want to do. But for me, like school was the answer and I felt like it needed to be the answer. So when anybody is willing to step back and say, maybe like school's not the answer. I know that you went to school and you went, got your undergrad, but the fact that you could travel and do all of that, like that stuff never crossed my mind. And I, I love the fact that it was in your head all along. You know, I wish it would have been more in my mind though, because I was thinking small when it came to traveling. Like I didn't realize you could do study abroad and all of those things. And had I known that also, when I went to school, I started off with like nursing, but then I decided not to do nursing because I only thought of nursing in the hospital not realizing there's so many ways you could do it. So I actually did go seven years in between my undergrad and my master's because I wanted to make sure that this field was something that I really loved and wanted to stay in before I invested all that money. Um, but I did travel around. Like I moved to Connecticut with a suitcase and then I moved to Arizona with what could fit in my car that I had just bought to move to Arizona, like my first car. And, you know, I've just like, and then with my husband, we've moved to Oregon and then we just lived in Oklahoma and now we're back in Arizona. So that has been something that really just, I don't know. It was just something I just had to do for myself. So we're going to get into kind of what you do for work and things to that effect, but just to kind of pre-frame that you're in the coaching space, um, in relationship coaching with a podcast on relationship coaching, correct? Yeah. My podcast is more around just personal development. Um, but I do my coaching specifically around relationship, whether that's with yourself or somebody else in your life. Perfect. So we talked um, a little bit before we got on air about the Build Your Network live event and networking. And so when you talk about um, kind of thinking small and not being able to see that there are other ways to do nursing, when you're working with your coaching clients, how much do you reinforce networking for the purposes of understanding what options are out there while they make a decision on what they want to do? Mm, if I'm understanding your, your question correctly, a lot of times when I'm working with somebody, is when they're telling me something they want, well, one of the things I'll have them do is I visualize what they're like, when they talk about their goal, I'll have them close their eyes and I'll have them talk about a scale from one to 10. And I'll say, so let's envision 10 as the best it could possibly be. Everything is perfect. There's nothing that you would change about it. Describe what that 10 looks like. And then we, after they're done doing that, I ask them where they're at on that scale from one to 10 right now. And then how do they break it down to start moving towards that 10? So let's say they're at a four. And then we start talking about different options that can bring them that way. And one of those options is you stay the exact same and you do nothing. And then I like to get really creative and like 
go really big. Like I like to lay things on thick sometimes to like really get the dream going and then have them add to it. And then sometimes I'll do something really simple too. And I also like to add in like the deathbed thing, like, okay, you're 90 year old, you're on your deathbed and you did nothing but plan your phone for the next 40 years. Is your life feeling fulfilled at the end? Did you do everything you wanted to do? Did you hit that 10? You know what I mean? And then I'm also like, okay, now you did and you took these steps and all of this. And so I like to give them options in that sense for them to start dreaming and thinking of it themselves and then adding into and changing my story that I was helping create for them into making it their own story. I love it. Um, particularly, I guess what I was thinking of was um, we don't know what we don't know. And so I know for networking, for me, one of the biggest things that's done is, you know, this lifestyle that I've always wanted, but didn't think that I could have because I didn't know it really existed. You get to be around people who live that lifestyle every day. So in the idea of somebody like thinking they know what they want, but maybe not being able to see all the possibilities because they don't really know what exists. Can you talk about whether or not you think networking is important in that aspect or whether there are other ways that you open the doors for the things that they don't know yet? Oh, sure. So I think networking is really important because when you see somebody else do something that you want to do, then it helps you realize it is possible. And it gives you something you can ask questions to. And I think when you start surrounding, okay, so you know how Jim Rohn talks about the five people you spend your time with, right? Yes. At least he's the first person I know who started talking about that. So I think like when you, and so I will have those conversations with them. So who are the people that, you know, you look to those five people in your life? Who can you add in? Where would you find those people? You know, and I think I also have a great list of resources. So I like to also connect people like, hey, check out this person who has a story similar to yours and what they've done and dreaming big. So I do think networking does play a part in it because it helps your dream not seem impossible or so scary. Absolutely. I, I laughed a little when you talked about the deathbed because somebody did that to me this weekend and I was like, you're the devil um, because it opens up so many um, thoughts that you haven't thought of yet of like, I know my life isn't what I want it to be now, but what if tomorrow's not guaranteed? Like, what if this is it? And so I love that you do that, but from personal experience and something that's very, very recent, I can tell you that um, it sucks. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I hold space for that. I feel like, cause it does, it is a hard reality to face. And so we'll talk about how that's heavy and we'll process that, but it's also hopeful and inspiring because the choice lies within you. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to identifying your own idea of success is that we, our ideas of success are based upon what we know and, and how we were programmed to think of success. And when those programs are challenged and we're forced to then think about what we actually want, then that's when our idea of success starts to change and we can feel it as we start doing something that's a little bit more fulfilling. And so these conversations are extremely important to have, but at the same time, they're so important. And I think that's why in every area of coaching, business, lifestyle, um, and then you know, relationship coaching and all of the other little areas of coaching, why it's blowing up so much is because people are finally starting to realize that you have to challenge everything you think. Yeah, I think that's really true. And when you asked me earlier, like my early idea of success, now that we're talking about it more, I really believe my early idea was that I get my degree 
and I get a job and that means I'm successful because like in my family, I was the first one to graduate with and go to college. My dad is the only other one who had a high school diploma. Um, my sisters did end up getting their GED, but already like, so that was kind of my starting point. Like, Hey, if you graduate high school and go to college, you're successful. If you get a job, you're successful, especially if it's a job with insurance. Absolutely. I think that that's a common theme that I hear in the guests that I interview. We're so trained and ingrained to think that that next step is college. What did you end up getting your degree in? I know you said you started with nursing. Is that what you ended up finishing with? No, I ended up finishing my undergrad with health and human development with a focus in family science. That's amazing. And at the time that you graduated, did you have coaching in mind or what did you think you were going to do with your degree? Well, I really love the family science part. So what I originally thought I was going to do was work for big corporations and help them create an environment for all their employees that was like really productive to help them have more productive, but also help them with their personal lives so that they were learning all these tools and skills to, uh, really flourish in and outside of work, but I didn't know how to do that. So what I ended up doing my first job with that was I did AmeriCorps and I worked with youth that it was, it was a place called family life education. And so I just got to do these groups working with these kids and it was the best job of my life. It was no money, barely right. $600 a month. Cause it was AmeriCorps, but it was one of the best years of my life. It really helped me expand in so many ways, because again, I grew up in Montana where there's not a lot of cultural diversity or anything like that. So going to Connecticut was just like, this whole new world of just learning and wonderfulness for me. That's awesome. And can you, I know that it's hard when we're past that point and we have processed everything, but if you put yourself back in like that mindset of what it was like when you were working for AmeriCorps, were you shocked that you were so fulfilled for so little money based upon what you had identified success as previously? You know, I don't, think I was shocked about it. I was, but I did, I didn't do the job again. I was offered to do it again, but I turned it down because at that point in time, I wanted to get a car. I wanted to be able to pay for myself to have experiences because at that time I was single and dating. So, and men in Connecticut are like super generous and they take you on these really great dates and stuff. So I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) But I didn't want that to be (laughs) the only way I got to have cool experiences, you know, on somebody else is taking me on a date. So I, I think also growing up without a lot of money and I already had had joy in my life that money and joy never seemed to need to go together. If that makes sense. No, it does for sure. I like it. Okay. So when did you find, um, the coaching path and kind of when did that all start for you? So it's so funny back in like 2007, I had a friend talking about how she was a coach and I started hearing about coaching and I was like, what? That's what I need to be doing. Oh my gosh, that you just get to go to help people like reach their goals and (laughs) learn these life skills. And like, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And I can do this. I know I can. And I was like, how do you do it again? So at this point in time, I think my limiting belief or like my fear of not knowing how to do something would prevent me because I always thought, like you mentioned earlier, that it had to be through an educational route. And I was like looking online for programs, trying to figure out how can I find a coaching program? I can't find one. I guess I can't do it. And the way she was doing it, I didn't necessarily like, because it was more like a network marketing type of coaching thing where 
uh, you paid for events and stuff like that. Anyways, it wasn't my, what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do it. I always thought you had to have a, like, I don't know, license or something. So I actually just wanted, that was always in the back of my mind. And then I went and got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And so I did that for a while. And then I had a kiddo and I wanted to stay home. And I was like, wait a second, how can I transition this into my own business so that I can stay home with my kid, but still do something for me that's really passionate for me? And then I found this school called Suiha, which did like hypnosis and holistic nutrition and a life coaching program. And I was like, bingo, that's for me. So I did that. And then that opened the gateway of how I started doing coaching. Plus, that was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make was let go of my path of a licensed marriage and family therapist to become a life coach because of the different stigma that can come with coaching. And what helped me do that was we moved to Oregon and it's really difficult to transition your license. So I was like, okay, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is what's on my heart. I'm going all into coaching. Make fun of me behind my back if you need to, but I'm going to be living my best life. So much to, to talk about here. Um, Holy cow. Okay. So limiting, no, I love it. Um, the limiting belief, like, I think it's really important to touch on this because I know it's something that I've struggled with so much in the past. And I know that so many people that I talk to as well, like we're in this culture where we think we have to be given permission to do something from somebody, especially when we come up through education, like who's going to teach me how to do this. And then nine times out of 10, we already know how to do it. Um, and, and we have this level of education that people look up to. And the, to me, the only thing that a coaching certification does, because it's not legally required to coach, is it makes it easier for you because you don't have to make the same mistakes that everybody else has made in, in building a program because they help you put it together. But the actual permission to do it, that's still got to come from you. And so I love that you touched on the limiting belief because I think it's something that everybody needs to hear. Everybody thinks that they need permission to make a career change and they don't. Right, exactly. It's it's a scary though, but you can still do it. Like you can move through that fear. The other thing was when you were talking about letting go of this path and then like finally being put in a place where you no longer had control over that. We talk about authenticity so much on this podcast with um, my guests and you know, authenticity is part of it to know that this is what you want to do. But then there's also that other part of actually pushing yourself to do it. And I think there's so much to be talked about in what you just said about number one, knowing that this is what you wanted to do. And then you got to this fork in the road and that was what ended up pushing you to do that out of your comfort zone. Um, and I think that that's where so much growth comes from. And I loved that you talked about that. Thank you. And I agree that if we want growth, that's on the other side of fear and that's on the other side of your comfort zone. As far as the coaching is concerned, so you found it in 2007. How long have you actually been coaching? So I've been doing my, like my own coaching business and, uh, for the past six years. And based on the fact that you had your master's in the marriage and family therapy, it just made sense to go into relationship coaching, but was there ever anything else that you thought about doing or was it always like, this is what I know I want to do? You know, I really, really believe in the relationship aspect because everyone wants the best relationships they can have. They want them to be fulfilling and loving and exciting and uplifting. And sometimes we forget how to do that 
or we don't even know how to do that because of our own background or whatever we've experienced. And really it's just learning and shifting new tools and perspectives. And that's why I also really, really love the tool of hypnosis that I use because it really gets right in there and we can start shifting things right away. And so no, there wasn't, I mean, sometimes I think, is there something else I could do? Like I love fitness and stuff like that, but relationships is always just what I'm drawn to and where people just talk to me about. And I just feel like that's home. And it's so important as well, because relationships come into everything that we do and we show up to each type of relationship differently, but the limiting beliefs that we have about ourselves or the thoughts that we have about ourselves impact every one of those relationships. So I'm interested to know as you're dealing with relationships, let's assume that we're talking about a dating or marriage relationship. And there's something about that that people are obviously unhappy with if they're with you. How much of your conversation is individually based on each person dealing with their shit to make everything else work together? Again, that's probably going to depend on the couple and how willing they are to go there. So a lot of the times with coaching, I really talk about, so I make it clear that even though I was a marriage and family therapist, I'm not going to do therapy with you. So if you feel like you need to do therapy, I can give you some great resources. However, with the coaching aspect, what we're going to do is focus on what is the goal that you want and then each part, how each individual is going to be doing something different in that dance to make that goal a reality. Yes, they each get time individually to work on things. Usually though, uh, with the coaching a lot of the times I'm working with one person at a time or it's somebody who's in the, who wants to date and find their relationship. So a lot of the times we're working on your relationship with yourself first. So that, Interesting. yeah, so that you can really like build your confidence and know who you are and say what you want and say what you need. Cause a lot of times in a relationship, people are arguing about a situation, but it's not what's really going on. Their needs aren't being met, but they're not expressing their needs. They're expecting the person to just know their needs or the person is saying what their needs are and the other partner's ignoring it. That's so interesting um, because I 100% agree with you. Communication, no matter where we're at, is flawed because it's based upon perception. But the fact that you work with people, as somebody who spends a lot of my time single, the idea that you work with individuals that are not in a relationship to make sure that they can find the right relationship is so empowering to me. That's so crazy. I like it. Yeah. Those are actually my, one of my favorite clients to have is because they're in the process of exploring who they want to be in a partnership and who they want their partner to be. So that takes work. Otherwise you're going to keep ending up in the same pattern of relationships and you're like, why isn't this working? This is getting disappointing. I keep finding like the same person in a different package. Yeah. And you know, we, we hear so many times about you have to love yourself before you can love any, somebody else, but nobody really, or very few people, I'm not going to say nobody because I'm talking to one, but very <laughs> few people go into what it actually means and takes to love yourself. Other people just say, so many people just say, let's love yourself and then love somebody else. Appreciate yourself and love somebody else. But that doesn't tell you how to do it or what that means. Yeah, I think you're so right, Amber, that so many people, I mean, that's a, it's a catchy phrase to say, right? Love yourself before you can love anybody else. But I think it's even, I don't know, I even shift that a little bit. I don't believe that exactly. I think it's more like how you treat yourself and how is how you're going to treat other people, right? The expectations you have for yourself is going to bleed out everywhere else. And so you, I think, and the reason why I disagree with that statement a little bit is because 
I can love somebody. Like I know in my life that I have genuinely loved somebody and didn't think that I was very worthy of receiving their love back. And that influenced the way I showed up in that relationship a ton, you know, and it probably, well, and I know it influenced the way they showed up in the relationship at the same time. I don't, I think that what that does is it discredits the feelings that you have and it teaches us not to trust our feelings more. Cause we're like, but I thought I loved them. And you know what you, you did love them and your best way of knowing how to love, maybe you weren't treating yourself the best way you could treat yourself though. 100% agree. Um, and I think that everybody listening can agree with that from personal experience um, or else they just don't want to admit it because I think we've all been in those relationships where we know we're not showing up the way that we need to and we know that it's some insecurity of ours. One of the things that you said that was really interesting to me is the idea that people make decisions thinking that what they're feeling is the reason that they're making the decision and it's normally something completely different. What tools do you use that you're willing to talk about a little bit to help them identify what the other problems might actually be? Um, Because I know that so many times we see people leaving a relationship and then they're miserable and then they finally figure out what it was. And then like, I have a friend that, that remarried her ex-husband because all of a sudden she was like, oh, it wasn't this. It was this and I fixed this. So now I love you. So what type of stuff do you, um, or what type of techniques do you have that you use to focus on that? So I guess, well, when it comes to figuring out what's really going on is taking the time, the time to even get to know yourself. Because a lot of times when you ask somebody, well, what is it you want? They're like, I don't know. Well, what is it that you like? I don't know. I just want them to be nice or silly, but they don't know how to say the specifics. So a lot of the work then we do is, okay, so now we need to get to know yourself. So I kind of think of, you know, that movie Runaway Bride. Yes. Right. And she talks about like, she has to learn how to like her eggs and all that stuff. So it's even more than that. Like, how do you actually want to be treated? Even when it comes to like touch, do you like light touch? Do you like more pressure? All of these little things are going to make a difference because they're going to show up in your relationship, you know, especially an intimate one. So I think it's important to practice expressing what you need and figuring out what it is that you actually need. So we'll do this sometimes by, um, that's why I like to do the hypnosis or the guided imagery or the visualization. And then we'll do like, um, I love mirror work because if I'm working with somebody who like, let's be honest, has low self-esteem or we can say is really insecure they're going to keep finding themselves in these relationships that are disappointing. And they're doing that on purpose, right? Because they don't want to be with somebody who's their dream person and then not be enough for that person. Cause that pain is going to hurt a lot worse than being with somebody than, you know, isn't your person. Does that make sense? Like if you break up 100%. with 100%. Okay. So, so part of mere work for anybody who's listening, that isn't hundred percent sure. Part of what I have you do when I'm working with you is the very first day is you're going to look yourself in the mirror and you're going to apologize to yourself. And I'm going to have you apologize for not believing you're enough, for holding back, loving yourself and receiving the love that you know you're worthy of and that you're going to, you know, even if you're not necessarily a hundred percent believe that you're worthy of the greatest love story of your life, I want you to start doing this work. And it's 90 days of mirror work. And the reason why 90 days is because 
30 days is going to get you started, but it's not going to move you through to like a transformation where the 90 days will literally, you're going to be a different person at that 90 days by just spending five minutes a day of having a conversation with yourself in the mirror. We talk about comfort zones and the willingness to fail when it comes to education, when it comes to businesses, when it comes to, you know, entrepreneurship, whatever we're talking about, but very rarely do we talk about it when it comes to being willing to fail in a relationship. And so I love what you just said, because I've been there. I've been in that situation where you push away the people that might be good for you and you attract to the people who aren't because it's easier to be rejected by the people that you know you're not fit for. And until you're willing to fail and be rejected, you'll never truly be able to be in that relationship. And I think that's for everything in life. Yeah, I think you're so right on with that, Amber, because even if you think about the dating world, right? So before you even get into a relationship and so many people won't, like they'll see someone walking down the street or at a bar or whatever, and they're like, oh my God, everything about that person I wanna go talk to, and they won't go do it. Why? Because that person might not say yes or might not talk back to them or might already be in a relationship. And then they just spend the next 30 years or two weeks or whatever it is for them thinking about that person and wondering, oh, man, if only I would have went up. And it's like, you know what? Practice getting rejected then. Just practice going up because you know what? You're going to find that you're going to be able to wake up the next day. The sun's going to shine. Your life did not end because someone said no. And your value did not decrease because somebody said no. It's so important for people to hear that. Like if anybody's listening, like you may even want to rewind that and listen to it again, because I think that that could be the most important thing that's said today. It's so, it's so true because it goes into everything we do. Like if you're talking about going and applying for a job, like we're not just talking about romantic relationships. We're talking about willing, being willing to be told no, when you ask somebody to buy your product, we're talking about being willing to be told no, when we're talking about, you know, a potential move or a potential business move, or even like a friend, like going out to hang out with you. Like if you have to be willing to hear no. Yeah. And at the same time, the more you're willing to hear no from other people, the more you're going to stop saying no to yourself. Do you think it also helps in setting boundaries? Because the more that you hear other people say no to you, the more you're willing to say no to other people in what doesn't serve you. Yes, because what you're doing is you're practicing going for things that you want. You're, expra- you're practicing expressing your voice, your needs, your wants, and knowing that it's not always going to turn out in your favor, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have gone after it or you shouldn't have said it. We talked a little bit about before we came on the air today about changes in careers and things to that effect. And and I think that that's super important when anybody's thinking about any change whatsoever is that the amount of time that you've spent in one thing is not wasted time because who you are now is a result of everything that happened during that time period. And if you didn't go through that, you wouldn't be who you are now. So whether it's a change in relationship, a change in a job or moving to a new city or any change at all. So we get caught up on the, I can't, do this because I wasted all this time instead of thinking that you're thankful for that time because now you're strong enough to make this decision. I love that. Yeah. Everything we've ever done is a building block to where we're going. Absolutely. So obviously the podcast is called More Than Corporate because it's about defining your own idea of success. And we talked a little bit about what success meant to you when you were younger. Can you tell me what success means to you now? 
I feel like success for me is a very simple idea now. It's literally feeling joy in every day. You know, I mean, there's a difference. If, if there's a death in the family, of course, that's going to be an exception to the rule. But other than that, success to me is feeling joy on a daily basis and uh, having the ability to pay for fun experiences and do something if I want to do it. I love it. Um, with the example that you gave, do you think it's possible to feel joy and not be happy at the same time? You know, to feel joy and not be happy at the same time. I think happy in general, uh, because there's moments like if you're living, okay, so I think that's kind of, for me, that's a deeper question because it's like, depending on how you're viewing the world, right? So I feel like you can be happy, but if, you're, if your happiness depends on external circumstances, then yes, you can feel joy and not be happy because there's going to be moments in your day where like, I don't know, let's say the best part of your day is having your cup of coffee from your favorite coffee place, right? That's a moment of joy. You're like, ooh, joy, yeah, right? But then the rest of your day, you could be like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. living in happiness. So I do think they can coexist. I like that. And so we're in a Facebook group called I Smile um, that a friend of mine started. And the idea of it is your daily gratitude practice. And one of the things that we do as a small um, Facebook group is um, Hard Smile Mondays. And I talked about this before in a podcast episode. And the reason that we do that is to evidence the fact that like life isn't always perfect, but there's always something to be thankful for. And when you can focus on that, then you'll feel that fulfillment and that happiness and that joy. And so that's the reason that I asked that question. Because when you mentioned the funeral, I think it's absolutely like acceptable to be upset in a moment, but still be feeling joy in your life. Yes. Yes, for sure. I 100% agree. So throughout your interview and the things that you've talked about today, um, obviously having the ability to be authentic with what you want and real with yourself has been super important in the choices that you've made. Can you talk about how important being true to what you really wanted was in getting to where you are now? Yeah, it was actually really challenging at first. So in the in the professional therapy world, you're not, you don't get to be vulnerable. You don't get to be, you know, exactly who you are. You don't get to share about yourself. You don't get to, you know, you just show up for the person and you're just there for that person, which is beautiful and lovely. And I mean, that's how therapy works, right? It's a good thing. So when I transitioned to coaching and a lot of it's like, share some of your story. I was like, what? I got to share some of my story. No one wants to hear my story. No one <laughs> wants to hear anything about me. Like, isn't that taking away from the people I'm working with? So that was definitely, and I still sometimes kind of, I'm just learning how to share more stories and get into that aspect versus just like the teaching and the uh, professionalism of it. So that was definitely a transition for me. Um, in, my, in my life though, I've always practiced being vulnerable. I don't know any other way to be. Integrity and truth is just honesty is just something that I think is uh, crucial in building connections with people. And without it, there's never gonna be like a real deep connection, um, if that makes sense. No, it does. And it's so important. Like authenticity and vulnerability are really where I started taking my life back. So when I connect with people who value those same things, it's almost an immediate connection because you can just feel when somebody's being real. I wanted to ask, um, you talked about the professional therapy world. Do you think that the professional therapy world would benefit from 
adopting some of the coaching ideas of opening up a little bit? Do you think it would help people understand that they're not alone while they're in the therapy world? And if so, do you think you ever see that happening? I mean, I think with the length of the sessions, it would never really work because you get like 45 minutes, right? Where you're, you're talking. So, uh, it w- I think it could benefit in the aspect of, because I know, so I used to work at a treatment center, right? And so there, some of the counselors who were in recovery would share like, hey, I'm in recovery as well, if they were asked the question. And that helped some of their, uh, I guess, uh, clients or consumers is what we would call them in the nonprofit world, connect with them more. And that was something that when, so I'm not in recovery. So my clients would, that would be a barrier that I would have to overcome with them because they would want to know, well, you're not in recovery, so you don't know what I'm going through. And I was like, you know, you're right. I'm not in recovery from a, you know, a a substance. However, I'm the child of parents who are in recovery or who are still alcoholics or whatever. And so I understand what your children are going through and really I'm teaching you tools to help you have a more successful life and to have a deeper, deeper connection with the people that you love. And so I do think that those moments made a difference because if I wasn't able to share that part, they would have, you know, just written me off right off because I wasn't in recovery. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I could kind of see based upon your answer, it being a double-edged sword, because if they do start sharing, then that creates limiting beliefs for the person to think they can't relate. And maybe that's why they try not to insert themselves. Yeah. We've talked a ton today about the idea of failures. Um, Can you talk about how failures have shown up in your life and how you've learned from them and it's pushed you? Sure. I think failure is just something I'm learning from all the time. And for me, I don't know what the specific mindset shift is where I'm just not going to let a failure hold me back because for me, I really want to experience and live this opportunity of this life that I have. And sure, am I going to fail? Am I going to look like an idiot sometimes? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I, you know what I mean? But I'm just going to brush it off and laugh it off because, and keep moving. Because if I let the fear of a mistake or a failure get in my way, then for instance, even when it came to dating, then I wouldn't have my husband that I have now. I wouldn't be in my own business right now. I wouldn't keep trying to connect with people and find a route into people's lives to give them the tools to heal and live their life that they want to have. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like failure is something that I've always just learned from, and I'm failing all the time. Like I've tried so many different launches with my business and crickets, you know, but I'm like, okay, I guess that idea didn't work. I don't take it personal. I'm just like, either I didn't do my copy well enough, so I need to learn copy better, or I'm not speaking to something that is resonating with people. So let me just go back up to the drawing board and see and keep working at it till I find something that does. Yeah, I um I love that idea so much and the way that you the way that you described that. It reminded me of one of the things we heard this weekend where um somebody said if they ask for a sale of, of some kind of anything, so any question at all, if you're asking this question and you don't get a yes back, you're either asking the wrong question or the wrong person. And so if we can look at it that way, then all of a sudden it's not necessarily a failure, it's just trial by error. Yeah. So I like to think of life as a big experiment. 
and we're just experimenting all the time and having fun with it and tweaking as we go. And it's not that serious. Life is supposed to be playful and joyful and our work can be serious in a sense, but the process needs to add in that joy and that delight in order for it to be like something you're going to be excited for and be able to kind of be a safe place for you, like the safety net when the fails do happen. I would love to, I, I would love to ask more questions, but honestly, I don't know how to get a better ending to an interview than what you just said. I think that that's amazing. So if it's okay with you, what I think I'd actually like to do is a random round, let everybody get to know you a little bit more if you're okay with that. Awesome. All right. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I would love to have a bed and breakfast Ooh. by like the ocean or in the mountains or something. I think that would be so much fun. You know, I haven't heard that answer before, but I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Okay. So time traveling, I actually do think about this question and I would go back to see the dinosaurs because I want to see how close we actually are to nailing like how they look. As far as personality traits, do you have a personality trait that you think has been most helpful to you throughout your life? Hmm. I like to think of myself as an action engineer. I'm going to take action. And even if it's painful, even if it's uncomfortable, even if, like I said, my limiting belief used to be, oh, I don't know how, so I better just like well, sit on my butt and eat a potato and not <laughs> figure it out, right? So now I'm like, no, I'm taking action. Even if it's scary, I'm going, going, going. I'll learn. I'll figure it out. So I'll find somebody to help me. I'm going to take action. And also, I think being honest, and I'm a pretty direct person, which isn't for everybody, but if you ask me a question, I'm going to just tell you, you know, I'm going to be direct with it. I like it. Um, reading, do you prefer to actually hold a book and read it or listen to it? Oh my gosh, I don't even do ebooks, girl. I love holding a book and reading it. I'm somebody who, where I'm going to have my highlighter and my pen and I'm going to take notes. And I love the smell of a book and I love seeing the progress that I'm making as I'm reading through the book. So if I'm driving, I'll listen to an audiobook. But otherwise, I love holding a book in my hand and reading it. I'm the same way. And it's funny that you interested that you mentioned driving and listening to the audiobook because I found myself doing that. And then I would be so intrigued by the book that I would actually have to go back and read it, like actually read the book. And so now I'm like, is there even a purpose to me listening to the audiobook? I could be listening to podcasts because if I like it, I'm just gonna go read it anyways. You're right. That's so funny. My husband, he loves audiobooks, so we'll have it. And I'm like, you gotta get it. I'll like start listening to it a little bit. I'm like, okay, we need to get a copy of it now, a paperback so that I can hold it in my hand. That's <laughs> yeah. There's just something about it. Like so I recently adopted Andy Frisella in his um, podcast talks about active reading and the idea of like reading and taking notes. And I had never really done that before. And so when probably like four months ago, I started in my books, actually like taking notes and um, thinking about how I could implement things into my life. And it changes a whole new world of reading. And I don't feel like I can do that with an audiobook the same way. Mm, you know what? You nailed something too. And you asked if there's something like in my personality trait is I apply what I read. Yeah. And so I love that you said that like you take notes and it helps you figure out a way to apply it to your life because you can read all the books in the world, but if you are not applying what's resonating with you, you're missing the boat. 100%. Um, music. Are you a music person? And if so, what song pumps you up right now? 
Okay. So I am definitely a music person. I'm into lyrics though. So when the lyrics are really good and if it's a good beat, that's a bonus, but otherwise the lyrics are what always draw me in. And the song I'm really into right now, it's called something just like this by the Chainsmokers and Coldplay. I don't know if you've heard it, but- I absolutely have. It's on my motivation playlist in the mornings. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have a really hard time getting up in the mornings. Um, Alarm clocks don't work for me, but I can't resist music. So if there's music playing anywhere in my house, I'm up. So my alarm clock actually wakes me up to Spotify and I have a motivation playlist that wakes me up in the morning. Oh my gosh, that's genius. Yeah. It's the only way I'm getting out of bed. So, I mean, I don't know if it was like- genius or just necessity, but it works. So it could be both. (laughs) True. Um, do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you give us a glimpse of it? Sure. Okay. So this is just something I do when I, when my eyes open up in the morning. So when you talk about like, I'm more of a pop tart in the morning, like I love starting my day. I'm always so excited about my day. And I start by first, I, I find my breath. So I wake up, I find my breath. I start thinking of things that I'm grateful for and, uh, in the, and I'm like smiling as I'm doing this. And I'm like, like, so for today, I knew this podcast was coming and I'm like, okay, let's let this be a great podcast, a great interview. Let's have a great connection. I'm so grateful I even get to do this. And then, um, so that's either like a meditation or breathing thing that I'm doing. And then I'll do some sort of yoga or exercise and uh, either by myself or with my family at that point. And then I love to have green tea and a smoothie. Very cool. Um, As far as your podcast and any connections on social media that anybody may want to make, where's the best place for them to find your podcast and then the best place for them to connect with you? Great questions and thank you for them. So for my podcast, it's called Beautifully Changed. And so that's on iTunes and Spotify. But if you want to find like all like the links and read the show notes and everything, that's just beautifullychanged.com. And under the blog section, there's a podcast link. And then for just connection and engagement, I think Instagram, I'm really active on there. And I love responding to DMs and just engaging and having conversations. And that's at Beautifully Changed. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share some of your busy day with the listeners. I think that you added a ridiculous amount of value and we talked about some pretty amazing things. So I just want to say thank you again. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Amber. This has been amazing to be here. I loved it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.